morning. It's good to see all of you here this Sunday morning, and um, I am very, very happy to be worshiping together with all of you. I was out of town for this past week, and um, I just uh, am very, very glad to be worshiping with my family once again. We started a series last week through a couple of chapters in the book of Isaiah, and we're not going through Isaiah in its entirety. That's too great of a mountain for us to climb. Instead, we are looking through a few select chapters chapters between uh, between chapters 40 and and 60s, uh, and these are called the servant songs. And we're focusing on these things because when we talk about Jesus, when we talk about the New Testament and the gospel, this good news of the message of Jesus, we cannot help but to use the language of Isaiah. And the people in the Gospels, and Jesus himself, most frequently and often quoted from the book of Isaiah. So much so that people call Isaiah the first or the fifth Gospel. Jesus himself read the Gospels. And some believe that his understanding of his mission, of his identity, came from these very words that we're reading for the next few weeks. These very words would be the very words that Jesus read and that would impact his own perception of his life and ministry. And so with that, we're going to start today with the first servant song, the first famous servant song from Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 to 4. We're not going to read it just yet. We're going to make our way through it uh, verse by verse. But I'd like to just lay out our talk for this morning. is going to be along three headings. You'll find them in your notes. They are the justice of the servant. Secondly, the meekness of the servant. And third is the boldness of the servant. That's our three headings for this morning. The justice, the meekness, and the boldness of the servant. We start with that first one, the justice of the servant. Look at Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. The first word is behold. I want to just pause there because already there's something being said in that word, behold. To say, behold, is to capture attention. Look, look here. Pay attention. Behold. Now, previous to this in, verse, in chapter 41, the word behold was being used to call attention, but not to God, not to the servant, but to something else. Behold, look at the idols of the world. Look at the idols of the, of, the, of the nations, of the Gentile nations. Behold the idols. Behold how ineffective they are. Behold how they don't make you happy. Behold how all those other things of our lives may temporarily entertain, may temporarily please, may temporarily titillate or satisfy. But in the long run, behold, those idols don't work. Those idols do not satiate the deepest, most profound needs of our hearts. So in contrast to chapter 41 where it says, Behold all those waste of times, all those secondary gods, all those idols. And now in 42 it starts up saying, Behold, look, there's an alternative to all those things that don't satisfy. And that alternative is my servant. Behold my servant Whom I uphold, the one in whom my soul delights, whom I have put my spirit upon, this is the one who satisfies. 
We've put our hopes in all the wrong things. Food, television, sex, entertainment, anything that is a substitute for God. But now he calls us to pay attention to the servant. And in the servant, we see that in which our souls can delight. Now, briefly, who is the servant? I don't want to dwell on this because as we go through the servant songs, the identity of the servant is going to come up again and again as a question mark. And people have debated throughout the millennia about who the servant really is. Of course, the Jews do not believe that the servant is Jesus. We Christians, we believe that this servant is the, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these Isaiah prophecies. In fact, The deeper I study these servant songs, the more I read these words, the more surprised I find myself. I mean, I'm already a Christian. But as I read these prophetic words in Isaiah, it's like, wow, Jesus really fulfilled these things. He really was the servant. Now, the identity of the servant would, uh, some people would say the servant is Israel. Some would say it's Moses. Some would say it's King Cyrus. Some would say it was Nebuchadnezzar. Right now, I'm not going to debate whether this is Jesus or not. For me, that's, that's, I take it for granted. The servant is Jesus. But what I do want to focus on, in particular, is what the servant does. The job of the servant. Why do I do this? Because I believe as we study what the servant does, the mission of the servant, you're going to come back to square one, which is Jesus Christ and the Gospels. The one who fulfills everything that we've been looking for is Jesus Christ. And so let's look at what the servant will do. In verse 1, at the end of that verse, it says, He will bring forth justice to the nations. This servant will come and bring forth justice to the nations. Now this is an interesting idea. We are waiting for one who will deeply satisfy and one who will make things in our lives right we are waiting for the servant to come, and when he comes, he will bring flowers, or he will bring um, nice things. He will bring love and forgiveness. Actually, what it says is he will bring justice. And this is an important concept because it comes up again and again. In today's passage alone, it'll come up three times. It's such a big theme that the title of today's sermon is The Servant of Justice. That word justice in the Hebrew can go two ways. It can either be justice or judgment. Now you might be thinking, I came to church today not to be judged. The last thing I want to hear the pastor say is that I am here to be judged. And it's an uncomfortable word to hear. But what I want to convey is understand this word mishpat in the Hebrew, which we translate justice or judgment, for the Jewish people, it was a welcome thing. It was something that made them feel better. Not that they were masochists, that they liked to be judged, or that they liked to be punished. But for them, it was a comforting message. Why was it comforting? Because it communicated to them that finally, goodness will come. That our endeavor to live a good life, good will finally come out of all of this. That all those years that we've lived faithfully, it will pay off. And that in the end, there is a God. And He is just. So to hear the words justice 
judgment, while it might fall heavy on us, understand it was meant as a comforting message. It was meant as a comforting word. Receive it as a comforting word, friends. I want to share a story about a friend of mine. Actually, last week uh, when I was in Phoenix, I spent a lot of time with him. My friend, um, we'll just call him John. Well, that's his name. So. Um, <laughs> and, and his story, like, I've known him for several years now, but um, he told us, like, he told us, he told us about his life. And we were, like, all riveted around the table. We didn't, we didn't know this about him. And he was telling us about how back in the day, and you know what, his story is so riveting, I think when, if, we, if and when we have a retreat, I'd love to bring him as a speaker. He's very different from myself. He's very kind of boisterous, outgoing. He's always looking for the next fun thing. And that kind of tells in his personality. My friend John, when he was younger, when he was in his teen years, he got involved with the wrong people. John was the type of guy that was looking for fun. He was the kind of kid that went on retreats and was always bringing cigarettes or something in his back pocket and sneaking off. He was that kid. He was always getting in trouble, and the youth pastors had to tolerate him. They had to deal with him. He was a troublemaker, and that took him to bad places. And he began to get involved with the wrong crowd, and he began to work his way up a notorious Asian gang, which he's not at privilege to tell us exactly who, but I have my guesses. And as he began to work his way up, I'm trying to talk off my notes here. I haven't had much time to, to rehearse this week. Try to talk from memory. As he began to get involved, he told us about the first time he was initiated, and they began to ask him hard questions, and who brought you here? And um, when he was finally initiated, the first thing they did was give him a, a roll of $1,000, $1,000 cash and a joint. And that was his first day's work. Now, who said crime doesn't pay? Who said that crime doesn't pay? Who said that God is just? God is unjust. God is not just. There is no justice in this world. Because here's a kid who can run, drug, you know, who can run drugs, and on his first day make $1,000, and every day thereafter, and you do the math, and this was just entry-level work. And as he made his way up in this gang, um, he was doing more and more dangerous things, assaults, robberies, break-ins, and getting deeper and deeper into the life until one day it turned out that something he had was stolen by some other gangsters. And so in order to get it back and get revenge, they broke in. He broke somebody's nose and his jaw and then got away and it was all caught. It was all caught by surveillance and the police came and got him. And the funny thing is he was running away and he took his pastor's car he took his pastor's car and he gunned it and the transmission gave out before he could get past 60 miles per hour. And God finally caught him. And so my friend John got taken to jail. Who says crime doesn't pay? Who says that bad living does not pay off? Who says that there's justice and there's a God in the world? Well, justice finally caught him. Judgment finally caught him. And what happened was while he was in jail, he realized that his life was completely destroyed. He was facing 20 years in prison. 20 years in prison. It, that blows my mind because he's my friend today and he's out. But he was facing 20 years in prison, $100,000 bail. He was even lucky just to get bail. And as he was being taken up in the elevator, 
because his dad wanted to see him, he told the guard, you know, can you just take me back downstairs because um, I feel safer down there than meeting my dad. Because his dad was a hard Korean man. Somebody who talked about justice and judgment. Somebody that would whack him up the head and tell him when he was doing wrong. He was a firm man and he was laughing. My friend John, as he's going up, he's laughing and the guard's laughing. But then when the doors opened and he got to the top flight, he began to walk. He couldn't look his dad in the eye. And he was led right in front of his dad. And his dad raised his arms and he flinched. And dad embraced him. And the first thing dad said to my friend John was, this is my fault. You're like this because of me. And he looked up and saw his dad's eyes and they were wet with tears. And man, you got to hear this story from John firsthand. And then his father said, let's go home. And he said, what do you mean let's go home? And he said, I paid your bail. How did you pay my bail? I sold the house. I did this for you because I love you. John turned his life around. He turned his life around, and he was very fortunate because instead of serving 20 years, he just served a few days. The judge recognized immediately that this is a boy who has a chance. He's surrounded by a strong church community. He has people that are involved praying for him. He wants to turn his life around. John shared with me, and he said this over and over again, All my life I knew justice, I knew judgment, but what my dad did that day showed me grace. And it was because of justice and judgment, it was because I finally got what I deserved. It was because I finally um, paid the piper, so to speak, that I was able to experience grace. Friends, this is the fill in the blank and the first reflection. Judgment and justice, it's an uncomfortable thing, but justice is a servant to grace. Unless we know judgment or justice, we cannot fully know grace. I hope you're understanding this, that grace is not just something, forgiveness, mercy. You can't know mercy unless you've received it. And you cannot receive mercy unless you've crossed some lines. No judgment, no consequences. No consequences, no grace. No grace, no transformation. In order for grace to come about, we have to understand that I am a sinner. In order for grace and mercy to truly be understood, to experience it, we have to understand I messed up big time. And once we come to that place, then we can know, wow, I've received something totally undeserved. I deserve 20 years. Instead, I only got a few days. John, to this day, turned his life around and became a pastor. He became a pastor. In fact, he's a very gifted pastor. And I have the privilege of serving together with him uh, through some denominational committees and whatnot. We'll invite him down someday. Judgment and justice is not a bad thing, friends. It's just the beginning of an awakened conscience. Judgment and justice is not a bad thing. 
It's just the beginning of an awakened conscience. And with an awakened conscience, friends, you can go anywhere. Once we realize this simple thing called ethics, what's good and bad, we can actually do tremendous and we can choose continually the good. We can do tremendous good. Let's move on to the second heading. We move on from the justice of the servant to the second heading, which is the meekness of the servant. The meekness of the servant. So, we think that if God is a God of justice and judgment, that he's always coming down on us hard with a big paddle, and that he's always heavy-handed. But hear these words of the meekness of the servant. Isaiah 42, verse 2. He will not cry out. He will not raise his voice. He will not make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. God's justice is a kind, gentle, loving justice. It's not one where he has to scream. It's not one where he has to elevate his voice. It's not one where he has to constantly condemn. Hear these words. He will not cry out. Literally translated, he will not shriek. He will not scream. He will not lift his voice, raise his voice. He will not lift up his voice. He won't raise his voice up. And he will not make his voice heard in the street. Literally translates, he will not try to make himself heard. This is a very kind, a very, as it says in, your, in, your, in the description on the top of your notes, this is a very unaggressive, unthreatening ministry. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever experienced a ministry that was very threatening and aggressive his ministry, understand the ministry of Jesus in your lives is kind, unthreatening, unaggressive. The conviction that comes does not come from a lot of yelling and screaming. It comes from kindness, not aggressiveness. It's something that sociologists call today soft power. And I think we can learn something from that. We are not the servant. Jesus is the servant. But I think that there are three principles in there, three corresponding principles fill in the blanks that we can learn from this type of ministry. Because friends, I'm not the only one here doing ministry. All of you are. I just want to see myself as the equipper of your ministries. All of you are doing ministry. How will you do ministry? How will you do your work as ministry? Three principles of leadership, of servant leadership. The first Coming from those words, he will not shriek, he will not scream. This is the first principle. Calmness is better than reacting. Calmness is better than reacting. We have a picture here of somebody that will not raise his voice. This is somebody that is calm and non-reactive. Reactivity is this thing where we constantly up the ante. Some situation goes wrong and I escalate. But this calmness is the personality of somebody that de-escalates, that knows how to de-escalate. A good leader, a good servant leader is one who de-escalates. Calmness is better than reacting. The second principle of leadership I think we can see in this passage, listening is better 
than dominating. Listening is better than dominating. It says that he will not lift up his voice. You ever work in a setting where somebody's constantly talking over you? They're speaking a little bit louder, maybe in your marriage, maybe in your friendships. He will not lift up his voice. Listening is better than dominating. And the third principle of leadership, corresponding with that last part of that verse, he will not make himself heard. He will not air his thoughts constantly. And that third principle is attraction is better than promotion. Attraction is better than promotion. So once again, we have a servant leader who is unthreatening, unaggressive. Friends, this is ministry. This is leadership. This is how we live our lives. Not in an aggressive, threatening manner, but this is a servant. This is a servant who is quiet, meek. And in verse 3, a bruised reed, look at that verse. A bruised reed he will not break. A dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. You ever see those birthday candles? Especially the ones that never go out. And you light them, you blow them out, they relight. You blow them out, they relight. And there's a sense where you're constantly extinguishing it. You don't want that thing to burn. You're constantly putting it out. These words speak. There's a continuous sense about them. A dimly burning wick, he will not constantly extinguish. A bruised reed, he will not continually break down or violently crush to pieces. Friends, I hope these words will speak to you when you are down and low. When I've been depressed in the past, these words have spoken to me. He doesn't want to snuff your life force out. He doesn't want to extinguish your flame. He doesn't want to. The bruised reed, you ever see a reed or a grass stem or something, a plant, and it's bruised. He will not go the whole way and break it off. He's not against you. And at times in our lives, we feel like he is against me. We feel like God is constantly turning against me and breaking me and snuffing me out. But it's important important to get into our psyche and important for us to grasp and know this deep in our heart. He is not against you and not wanting to put you out or to snuff you out. He will faithfully bring forth justice. This is a kind and a patient God. He will faithfully bring forth justice. And there's those words again. The third and last heading of this passage is the boldness of the servant. The boldness of the servant. On the one hand, we have a servant who is meek and kind. But on the other hand, we also have one who is very bold and very strong. Look at verse 4. And it says, He will not be disheartened He will not be crushed until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. And so once again, we have a few negatives. Previously, he won't do this to you. He won't do this to you. He won't do this to you. This time, there are two more negatives, but speaking about himself, he will not be. He will not be. 
In other words, we have a servant here who will not be dismayed. He will not be crushed. He won't crack is how you can literally translate that. In other words, in your life, in your life, this servant is persistently ungiving up, unyielding. He is working. He is not discouraged. He is not crying out. He is not disheartened. He will not give up on you. He will not. And there's a sense. I mean, my wife likes to tell me that outside I come across soft and gentle, but inside I have a, a, I have a, I have a stubbornness made of steel. She says that about me. In some senses, the servant is like that. He is meek. He's gentle. But when it comes to his resolve, he is not giving up. No, he's stubborn, he is persistent, and he will not let go of you. And just as my friend John was hounded by the hound of heaven all throughout his youth, and he talks about coming full circle, and he remembers when he was in jail, the thing he remembers is when he was a child clinging to the youth pastor's leg, clinging to the youth pastor's leg and hugging it because he was so, so afraid at church. And those memories came back to him in jail. How did I get here from that time when I was a little church kid clinging to my pastor's leg? The irony is that pastor now, is they're all older, they're all grown up, and that pastor now actually works for him on his staff. The hound of heaven will not give up. And in the funny, ironic ways, he has a way of turning your life around. He will turn it around. Why? Because he's stubborn like that. He's stubborn like that. Will you just give up? Will you just forget about me? I'm a lost cause. I'm hopeless. Let me go and go my way. I enjoy my idols. And he says, no, I'm not going to let you go. No, I'm going to keep working on you. This is the persistence of the servant. He is kind and loving, but man, is he bold. Man, is he stubborn. Man, is he not giving up on you. In closing, I just want to share two stories about grace and also about justice and judgment because that's how, it, that's how this passage ends. He will not be disheartened. He won't be crushed. And it says, finally, until he has established what in the earth? Justice. The servant is not giving up so that he can establish justice in our lives. What does that mean? And the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. He's not giving up so that he can establish in our lives true goodness, true transformation, true lives that aren't just doing what's right because we're afraid of a spanking, but we're doing what's right because we've experienced such a undeserved, such a profound love, grace, and forgiveness. Friends, a changed life, a grace-touched life is a righteous life, is an ethical life. Because we don't want to go back to that old stuff anymore. Because we've been shown too much goodness. Two stories. There once was a man in prison 
for armed robbery. I have told this story before, so if it sounds familiar. And one day the king, the king of the country, came to visit that prison. And when he visited the prison, everybody fell on their knees. And all the prisoners, they said, I'm innocent. King, I'm innocent. Set me free. I'm innocent. I'm innocent. But this one man in prison, he didn't open his mouth. He remained silent. And the king came up to him and said, You, sir, what are you in here for? And instead of proclaiming his innocence, the man responded, Armed robbery. Armed robbery. And the king replied, And are you guilty? And he said, Yes, I am. I justly deserve my punishment. I was caught fair and square, and I'm serving my due time. And the king turned to the jailer and immediately said, set this man free, this guilty wretch. Set him free because I will not have him stay in this prison where he will corrupt all these fine, innocent people. That's the funny justice of God. That's the funny justice of God. It's when we come clean and we've, when we have a stark face-to-face realization, I did this, I deserve this, that we are actually shown mercy. But the longer we run away, the longer we run away, the further we get from grace. The further we get from grace. The last story I'll tell, actually it's not a story as much as it's a quote, and it talks about grace, and it talks about sin. And it talks about how we as a church should respond to each other. It was F.B. Meyer, the famous preacher, I believe, who once said that when we see a brother or sister in sin, there are two things we do not know. First, we don't know how hard he or she tried not to do it. Secondly, we don't know the power of the forces that assailed him or her. And third, we do not know what we would have done in the same circumstances. The message here, friends, is that judge not lest ye be judged. Judge not lest ye be judged. Let the Lord be the one that speaks words of kindness to our consciences. Let the Lord be the one that will speak unaggressively unthreateningly, but with words and overtures of love. Words and overtures of love. As we conclude, my prayer is that all of you here will experience this week the words and the overtures and the overtures and the overtures of love that are bringing you closer to a life that is holy. Let's close our eyes. pray that these words about the servant encourage you today and bless your spirits. And pause for just a moment to respond to him in a prayer that you see fit, any prayer that comes to your heart. Say a few words just responding. Talk to him now. Talk to him now. The servant 
Jesus Christ is listening and he is the servant. Lord, we come to you now in worship and we want to behold you. We want to see you as the suffering servant. We want to have a deeper picture and a deeper vision of you, Lord Jesus. Hear our worship. Make us the beloved people that we so long to be. Change us, Lord touch our lives and we're so grateful for your ministry that is kind quiet unthreatening and unaggressive may your overtures of love win us over stubbornly even and seal our hearts for your courts above this we pray in Jesus name amen this has been a woven church podcast Woven Church is a multi-ethnic missional church that meets in West Houston. We invite you to check us out on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. To find out more, visit us online at www.wovenchurch.org. That's www.wovenchurch.org.